0: Coming up on the Kim Gravel show. Let me tell y'all something. Listen to me. I'm gonna tell you this. And I know this from my router to my tutor. I know this with everything I am. You people don't want desperate. People connect with real. And let me tell you something: when you figure out who you are and why you're here, if it does not line up with that, I don't care how old you are, don't do it.
1: This is the Kill Show.
0: Let's just go on and spill the tea. This is one of the realest persons I've ever met. My mission is to encourage every single woman. We're here to lift y'all up. There's no one more effective than moms. You mess with the bull, you're gonna get the horns. I need coffee. I need Jesus. And I need therapy. <laughs> if you can bring a smile to people's faces, why would you not? True confidence is knowing who you are and why you're here. Hey y'all, Kim Gravel here. I just want to say, have you picked up my book, Collecting Confidence yet? If you haven't, it's it's available wherever books are sold. I've heard from so many of you saying, Kim, it's touched my heart and I can't tell you that's the biggest compliment I could ever get. But at the end of this episode, we are going to be sharing the full audio version of chapter two. So stick around. We've got a great episode for you today and at the end where you can listen to chapter two and remember Really, how much I love you, and I'm thankful for you, and I appreciate you. And y'all get out there and step into your confidence. Hey, everybody, this is Kim, and you're watching The Kim Gravel Show. And this season, we are going to be leveling up our lives and stepping into our purpose and our calling, and we're going to do it together. And today's show, Zach, one of my favorite topics we're talking about joy. And then midlife. Okay, so I'm not saying midlife is my favorite topic. Is that one of your favorite topics, Kim? (laughs)
1: No,
0: it's not. Um, But I don't hate it. I'm just going to tell you that. I don't hate it. Um, I do think midlife has been really good to me, though. I think we are such a society where we think youth, we're so youth-obsessed. But when I was young, I didn't know my butt from the hole in the ground. And let me tell you something, I know a lot of people that don't either,
1: i.e. my children. What age do you think you started sort of getting it? Like Oh mid thirties. did it take for you? Mid-30s. Okay. So I'm there. Like so right now basically I'm like I'm a baby. A, I'm like a You're a
0: baby in the midlife cri- I mean in the midlife, you know, timeline. I, I will tell you so much. I just I have um you change too when you get a certain age because what what used to frustrate me and get me so mm-hmm. like you know, frustrated and snippy and all that was when I was younger. When when I was like, "Come on, people don't get it." Let's go. You know, when people don't understand me and uh-uh. and now at it, it um yeah. like fifty, I'm sitting there going, "Well, if they don't get it, that's okay." You know, like, like my whole my whole vibe has changed. Like my whole vibe is like with my kids. Even like they're like, "Mom," get, and I'm like, "Well, honey, you'll get it one day." You know, I'm I'm, I'm not as I'm not as anxious to see things come to pass as I used to because I know that in the right time they will. There's there's something about midlife yeah. that's freeing if we let it,
1: you know. Well, I I agree with you. Are you someone? Okay, Kim. Are you someone that always tries hard? Like, are you a try hard? Because I'm a try hard, and I've been thinking what is about try that hard? For myself a lot.
0: Because I don't like the word well, try. It's like, I don't. I don't. I don't even allow my kids okay. to say the word try. So what do you mean by try hard? Oh, is this hard? like a
1: Yoda moment? Is this a do or do not? It's there a little no Yoda. <laughs> it's, a little
0: it's a little yoda Yoda-ish. And I'll tell you why, but tell um, me what
1: you mean by try hard first. No, I was thinking about this recently, how I feel like I always, I, like I'm, I'm someone that tries hard at things, right? Like I will put in a lot of effort into like whatever it is. Like even if it's something totally silly, like, oh, I need to replace the, like, LED lights in my kitchen, and I'll spend an hour on like you know Walmart's website or whatever, looking at like all the specs of the lights, and I'm like, what? What am I doing right now?
0: Yeah, so I mean, that's I like a silly think, example,
1: but that's what I mean. Like I'll try at everything.
0: Well, yeah. I, I think that's not bad. I mean, trying and putting it means you know putting forth effort. You know, what I'm saying it's it's you know an effort to accomplish something. That's what try is. But when it comes to living out our calling, or our purpose, or even the joy that we want in our life, I don't, I don't think you can try. I think you just have to do or be. That, that's the difference between, you can try to change your light bulb, yes, but that word try has a little bit of hint that it possibly could fail.
1: Oh,
0: As humans, we are preconditioned to anticipate the failure, not the success like we go into things into competitions into athletic events into a business into a relationship looking at ways that it could fail we don't go into yeah. uh like my son he go he plays tennis and he was in the regions you know he was in him and his partner doubles partner they were in the region match and the night before he was talking about, well, and if they play this way, then we can hit it hit. He was already preparing that if they started failing, what he was going to do. I don't, I don't agree with that. So what do you do instead? So what you have to do is you have to work hard. You have to work hard and then enjoy that process. That's where the joy comes in. Enjoy. That means he, as you're doing the work, I'm not saying you don't need to work hard or you don't need to put forth effort, but don't anticipate the fail. And I think that's mm-hmm. what we do in midlife. I think we think, oh, okay, it's good. I've got a little bit more time. My kids are grown. Maybe, but you know, but what am I going to do? We anticipate there to be a lull or to the, be a, a, a place we don't fit or we don't have anything to say because we're out to pasture. Mm-mm. No, I'm telling you, midlife is a new life. It's time to reinvent and get out there and get after it. My Mm. midlife is way more juicy than my 20s and 30s ever dreamed to be in.
1: Really? Because you did oh, yeah. so much in your late teens, 20s. Like you were already someone that someone would point to and say like, oh, she's really successful. She's Miss Georgia.
0: I was on the struggle bus. I Ooh, was on the struggle mean, bus. All I was doing was just it was just trying to be this person and trying to connect and trying to be this and trying to get people to accept me and try to get people to put me on TV and try to get me. I was doing all the things I shouldn't have done. And now I'm just like, people, now people call me and say, can you do this? I can't do that, honey. I love you, but I can't do it. Like now, knowing my purpose and my calling, uh, you know, I have this empowered voice. And let me tell y'all something. Listen to me. I'm going to tell you this. And I know this from my rooter to my tutor. I know this with everything I am. You People don't want desperate. People connect with real And let me tell you something, when you figure out who you are and why you're here, if it does not line up with that, I don't care how old you are, don't do it. People like what they can't have. People like things that don't come easy. I'm telling you. And so now when I'm 50 and I'm going now, I'm pretty much, you know, that's pretty much not for me. I'm going to do that. And people want it more. And I'm thinking why didn't I get this when I was, wow. you know, in my 20s and 30s? There's
1: something to midlife
0: that makes it so mm, empowering.
1: You know, it's funny to hear you say this, Kim. I feel like you're saying this and I'm agreeing with you and I'm nodding along and I'm also in the yeah. back of my head like, "Oh, I'm not there yet." Like that's how I feel. I'm like, "I'm not there yet." And like being totally truthful with you, like I still feel like I'm Probably pushing too hard.
0: Just sit back, exhale, and watch it come to you. Let me ask you something, Zach. When you wanted to do this yeah. podcast with me, what, did you, yeah. was that easy or did you have to try?
1: Oh, it was like the easiest thing in the world. It right. was actually like. It, it was an email. It was so easy that it was it was scary easy. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the right time for all of us. And right. so, yeah, that's a really that's a really that's my point.
0: point. That's my point. In midlife is mm-hmm. the same way. So the older you keep getting from this point on, can be the same way. If you mm-hmm. just exhale, work on you,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and watch it chase you down. People do not believe that, and they're like, "Kim, you just this crazy woman of faith, and you just uh, you know, ask, receive, believe, and all that." I said, no, "I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just talking about." There is an ease to life that when we are younger we fight. It's like an old cat in a uh, seed sack. I don't know if this is a this is an old farming thing, but like old like field cats would get into a big old sack of seed, you know, seed sack, a feed sack. So it had the feed for all the chickens and all the horses and all that. And it was just a burlap uh-huh. sack, and okay. these cats would crawl in these sack, these burlap sacks, and get stuck because they're claws. So when you when you got a bunch of claws on burlap, you can't get out. You know what I'm saying? And that's oh, yeah. how we right. are can, when we're yeah. young. You know, we're, we're sitting here scratching, we're crying, we're just trying to make it happen. And then and then we, if the cat would just relax, it could walk on out of that burlap sack. But that's, that's what mm. happens at midlife. You just exhale and you move on. And that's where the good stuff is. It's not just an, it's, I don't know why it takes us until midlife to most of us to get there, but that's what I would say to young people. You're like a cat in a feed sack that can't, you know, that. that's exactly what I'm talking about, the struggle.
1: Okay, well, I'm gonna get out of that feed sack
0: <laughs> any day now. After this commercial break, we've got a professional geologist, Dawn Barton, and she's gonna tell us about midlife and how to have that battle cry and get busy doing what we're made to do. We'll be right back. Hey, y'all, it's Kim Gravel here. And I got a question for you. Are you ready to level up your life? Are you tired of having all the self-doubt? Well, if you are, I've got a confidence quiz you've got to take. Because no matter where you are in the journey of your life, right now is where you start to be everything you were meant to be. So head on over to kimgravel.com to find out how confident you really are. Let's go. Okay, everybody. We have got... The joyologist here today, Don Barton, is here. Let me just give you a little r- rundown. And you know, I love to laugh and I love happy Zach and I love joy. And this woman brings it in the biggest way I have ever seen. She's an author, she's a speaker, she's an entrepreneur, she's been a mentor. Um, she had a best selling book called Laughing Through the Ugly Cry. Okay, hands up if anybody's ever experienced that. That was out in tw- 2020. Her new book, I love this. Zach, are you midlife? Uh, not not yet, Kim. Well, don't brag about it. I love your hesitation, but don't brag about it. Well, she's <laughs> just, her book, is, her book is called The Midlife Battle Cry, Redefining the Mighty Second Half Okay, and it comes out May 9th. So we had to get her on the podcast. Um, she's also got a podcast coming out uh, called Porch Ramblings. I love <laughs> it coming out in the fall. She just gets on this, these ramblings on the her porch on Instagram. She does these stories. Y'all got to go check it out. Um, and the reason I love her, I think the most, and why I relate to Dawn the most, Zach, is because she just this morning posted this um story on her Instagram saying she has not washed her hair in five days. And I haven't either. So please welcome my sister from another Mr. Don Barton. Don
2: Barton. That was some good (laughs) stuff. I'm okay if like if that's the end, like thank thank y'all for coming. We're good to go. That's all you need to know. Thank you. But Zach, I have to say, we did do a survey of what people thought midlife was. And Uh it came back. 37
1: to 65. Ooh, okay. Well, I'm Ooh. 36. So oh, not, there, not, yet. There. Okay. not hey, there yet. Okay, Wait a minute, Don. <laughs> okay. Wait a minute.
0: Midlife is up to
2: 65. Now who's saying that a 65 year old? Well, that's what I was laughing. I was like, who's the 37 year old <laughs> thinking she's midlife? Be like, <laughs> I was going the other way. I was like, then, baby needs be- a hug. Yeah. If 65 is midlife, we're in good shape, girl.
0: We're in good shape. We're in good shape. Okay. Dawn, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be with you. I, I just love your message. I love your spirit. Y'all have got to go follow her on her social media. But Dawn, you've got to define
2: for us, what is a joyologist first? Oh, I, you know, I've been half tempted to have them take that out of all of my media stuff, because I love to say that about myself. But then when they go like, Can you explain that? I'll explain what happened. So there I was. What happened was, I was talking to my friend, Caroline Boudreaux. What happened was, I was talking to Caroline Boudreaux and I said, Caroline, I have just left this great big career. Uh, My book's not out yet. I I can't really say I'm an author, but all I want to do is I want to stand on mountaintops and really tell people about joy in Jesus. And she goes, ah, you're a joyologist. I'm like, I am. I am.
0: So there you go. There you go. Well, I, yeah. I think you are. You're. You're actually. I'm going to say you're a little bit contagious. Um, in just getting to know you, over your social media, it's it's so refreshing to see someone like yourself be real and honest and authentic with some of the things that you've been through in your life. Because uh, you you really dive deep to in in your first book. You've and I'm not saying anything, y'all, that she hasn't already said. She's she's divorced. She lost a child. She had to bury her child. You're a rape survivor. You've battled stage four cancer. Dawn, you really know what it means to be joyful. But what did you learn through all of those valleys about what true joy is?
2: yeah I think that um, I wrote a book about joy, but it's actually a book about all the really horrible you know um, losing a child, being raped and going to a full jury trial um, having mm-hmm. it was actually stage three um, cancer and my mother having a brain aneurysm, my sister passing away it was like these tsunamis of pain through life but through it I like, I always feel a little sorry for people that don't have the tsunamis of pain in life, because it's sort of mm-hmm. in the valleys that we have this incredible relationship with God. Like, I'm not ever standing on a when my life is so good. I don't think I give thanks and cries out to the level I do in a valley, right? I mean, I'm mm-hmm. like, because <laughs> I yeah. no one throws better pity parties than me, nobody. And um, so I just started figuring out through all those valleys, not necessarily like not in the moment that I was going through the loss of my daughter. Um, but I did see joy in how people responded, how people helped, how people stepped up. And yeah. so I just started being a little more on purpose about living a life that you look for joy. And this last year, we've been through just the ringer on the caretaking thing with my mom. And I really have tried to be on purpose about looking for it in the medical staff, in looking for it in funny moments, You know, the things we could sure. laugh about. It's just everywhere. We just got to look for it.
0: Well, Don, I, I totally agree with you. It's I think that we learn and grow more in those valleys than we do the mountaintops. But when when you when you look around today, at what's going on in the world? I mean, it is topsy-turvy out there. You know, sometimes we think what's up is down and what's down is up. And, and it's just such a um unsettling time. And I, I think that. That's par for course. Coming out of you know the lockdown and the pandemic that we did, a lot of people reevaluated their life. Right, like a lot of people took stock and mm-hmm. like, what am I supposed to be doing? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is it all for? When you talk about this midlife moment, I think I think. Whoever answered from like 37 to 65 is kind of right because midlife, you know, when we're young, we're just, we're just carefree and we really don't plan. You know, we're just just shooting blanks out here, just, you know, swinging from the chandelier, you know, in our life and not having real purpose. But when you get in that 30s, you're just like, okay, hold up. Wait a minute. What is this all about? What is it about midlife that really sparks this like interest and you know, purpose and what's for us and what, why we are here, why God created us. What is that about you? And why
2: did you decide to write this book about it? Um, because I went through a great big, I had written my first book that beautifully released smack dab in the minute, in May of 2020, right in the middle of a pandemic. Wow. And um, we moved and we moved into this living situation of uh, my, we have a 16 year old and my mother-in-law lives in the house with us and my parents live Next door to us, sixty-six steps away. Um so we moved out here. Kind of the Clampets went to the country, and my life <laughs> changed dramatically. I, you know, <laughs> we are. Um, I was the number seven producer in Mary Kay Cosmetics, and I left oh it all uh, to. Yeah, I left it all to write this book. I had a dream. I know I sound like a lunatic. I had a dream. got no, some "Write a book." And I was like, no, I'm not. I I don't write. I don't take notes. I don't journal. I'm not your girl. But I did. And it became a bestseller. And it won, you know, New Christian Author of the Year. And it was just like such a great God story. But after all that, I was, I mean, the world was just stood still for me to go from that fast-paced thing and then writing the book. And then I stopped. And when I stopped, I thought, I thought, I'm embarrassed to say like God had forgotten me. I fought, I felt invisible. I felt like a racehorse mm-hmm. that had been put out to pasture. The fat lady had sung that the world was done with Don Barton and I was 50 years old at the time. And, um, and I, like I said, I throw great big Southern hand on the head pity parties. Rarely does anyone ever come. Um, but I throw them a lot. <laughs> um, too, girl. And I decided, all right, not, now that the pity party has ruined its course. <laughs> Let's fight to figure myself out again. And and it wasn't, Mm. um, let's get back to who you were in your 20s. It was, let's redefine who you are today. Like, what does that look like? And it started with something as stupid as, what color do I like to wear? My closet Come was now. filled with black and gray and these boring colors. And I was like, no, I'm a coral. I'm a pink. I'm a color girl. What happened that I started dressing to step back in the world? There's something that happens to us in our 50s, late 40s, where we start to shrink a little. And it's ridiculous because mm-hmm. it's literally the best we've ever been. Our or boobs are not. But the rest of this is totally <laughs> the best we've ever been in life. <laughs>
0: Yes, I would say, I would say, yes, uh, our boobs have been through a lot at this point, but it is, I agree with you. It's the best it's ever been. So, so, uh, because everybody's listening right now and so many people are right there with you, Dawn, and actually might be in that moment of going, what, God, do you want me to quit my, you know, lucrative job to write a book? Like, what was that moment for you? What, what made you decide, I'm going to take that step? I loved what you said. Dawn, I'm telling you, this is so powerful. When you said, I had to fight to figure it out. what What is that?
2: What fight are you talking about, girl? I'm saying we need to be a participant in our own rescue. Like, we can just sit around and talk mm-hmm. about that uh, the kids have left. I don't have purpose. I don't think. We'll figure it out. I, I think we give, we... Um, we throw pity parties longer than we should, but you know yeah. it's not like we get to the midlife point. I think we see this invisible curve, and we're at the top of the curve, and we're about to go downhill. And that's so ridiculous. That's the world. That's such a big lie. It isn't at all. It's not like God said, "Oh, thank you for coming. Listen, here's your number. Go sit, watch Netflix. I'll call you when your time's up. Like we're done with you." He uses us all the way through. So why on earth would we ever pull back and? Give the microphone to somebody in their twenties who doesn't know what a chin hair is, right?
0: <laughs> I love it because I'm sitting here feeling my two or three I got right now. Oh my god, I absolutely love it, Don. It's, it's so true, and and you're you're firing me up, sis. I mean, you're speaking to me right now because I, we're in this together, you and I. We could be, you know. I was born in '71. When were you born? You were in the your '70s, baby, aren't you? '70. Seven, uh huh. Yeah. So, I mean, we're right there together. And it is, it is so true that, I mean, my mom who is 76, Dawn, is living her best life. She is a model on QVC. I mean, who would have thunk it, right? But when you said yes to your future in that midlife moment, what is it like today for you? Like, are you happy? Are you sad? Is it, is it, is it easy? Is it hard? I mean, what is it right now for you? Because I think people think, oh, I'm just going to give it to God and it's just going to be amazing, but they don't realize it's it's still the journey.
2: Yeah. And I think, again, you're fighting for it. So what mm-hmm. I find humorous is I don't think I ever would have looked at 53 years old and I was going to be probably the busiest I'd been in a very long time. Now, what's different about that is I have the wisdom at this point to pick what my busy is and where I want it to be. And I have no problem saying no to stuff like I have a whole chapter in the book called Hail to the No, H-A-I-L, Hail to the No. Like, we have got to say no. (laughs) Love that. You know? We have to say no. Yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, we have to say no. So right now my life is filled with a lot of things I've said yes to, and I like the way it looks. I do.
0: Well, I like this quote from your book where you say, if you're like me, you've spent the last few decades bending and giving and morphing to serve so many different people and jobs and the communities. That are no longer sure, and you're no longer sure what's left for you, left of you.
2: As women, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, I, I think one of the, probably the easiest, but of course there are women out there without children, but one of the easiest is you've, you've bent so much in raising children and giving so much of who you are to raising children. And then these children have, you've done your job, they've grown and flown, and you, you forgot to be raising you alongside it. So you feel a little mm-hmm. bit lost. You're i um, not quite sure what your purpose is anymore, not quite sure of identity, um, but it also can happen if just there's just a shift. I, I feel like it's the shift in life where God takes us by the shoulders and he's like, wake up like this is time for you to fully live. No more stepping back. No more.
0: I can totally relate to what you're saying. I mean, I would just love to sit down and grab some dinner and have a coffee with you and, and let's just talk and just talk about this. Because I think I'm not alone out here feeling that. That's why I think your book is going to be so amazing and touch so many people. But why do you think we shrink
2: back? I think that we have a society that raises up youth and raises up a physical appearance of a certain type. So when we no longer fit into that, we think we're supposed to shrink back. Um, but it's absolutely not true. But I think that we do pull back because we aren't physically what we used to be. And if I'm going to be really honest, there was a season I was shrinking back because I was starting to have things like, you know, why did I walk in this room? So it's like, I wasn't functioning at the same brain level. I was having more Mm. brain fog. I was having all the things that are happening with your body. I went out after that really proactively to kind of you know, I started eating clean, which is just horrid. I just might add. But oh my no, gosh! Jesus. But it uh, <laughs> no, I, no, I agree.
0: No, we can talk about that in a real way. Yeah. That really stinks, right?
2: <laughs> it does, Dawn, Like it stinks. Why, why, like let me eat all the things and all the carbs and all the bread and all the fats and be my best self, right? Dawn,
0: <laughs> this morning I stopped by the f- local food mart. Zach, you'll love this because Zach knows this about me. And I bought what mm-hmm. these hostess cake calls zingers. Have y'all ever had zingers? They're like a chocolate uh, devil's food. I and I think they're called devil's food for a reason, with a little icing on them, and there's a set of three. Have you ever had them? No. It sounds amazing. Oh my god. Y'all, it's the best things ever. It's got a, a, a little cream fill. It's like a chocolate twinkie. Mm. An iced chocolate. Bless this for the I nourishment twinkie. of my body, Lord. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> just pray.
0: Just pray it. <laughs> Zach, what were you gonna say? You were you were trying to chime me and I interrupted you.
1: <laughs> oh, I was I was just going to ask Don what, what does eating clean mean like for you? Because I think right. it means something different uh, for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, it was no. Um, well, I actually do have a, a reaction to gluten, so I'm gluten intolerant. So it's no gluten, no sugar, um, it, no fun, no life, no, <laughs> nothing good, you know. <laughs> It just sucks. That's okay. what we're going to
1: say. Yeah. It's terrible.
2: <laughs> Best I ever feel, though. It's, yeah.
0: Yeah. I feel great, but I'm miserable. I love it. Isn't that hey, right, that, yeah, sounds a li- it. Exactly. that sounds a little bit like marriage. But anyway, that's another podcast. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> that's your next book. That's your next book. Okay. <laughs> I feel great, but I'm miserable. Here we go. <laughs> right. <laughs> Zach, oh, Zach you might want to cut that out. No, but it's true. I, but, I'm um, keeping it. <laughs> I know. I knew you would. So so Don tell me tell me what what your hope is for this book. What do you hope when women open it up and read it and I'm gonna tell y'all I'm gonna push Don's book, okay? Because I'm telling you, she has got so many nuggets of wisdom and life applicable things for us. So, what is your hope? What is your what is your um I want to say your prayer for everyone who picks up this mm. book.
2: Um if I were to put it in two words is that Makes her, well, I can't say anything in two words, so scrap that whole thing. Um, the, <laughs> I, I would say that I, I was like, what was that? That was stupid. <laughs> um, I love it. You a battle cry and a hug. A battle cry and a hug. So I, I want her to, if she has started to pull back and she is starting to question what happened to me, you know, I'm feeling flailing. I'm feeling a little lost that it brings mm-hmm. her back out again, but that it also feels like, Your girlfriend is sitting next to you, laughing with you, giving you a hug, and we're laughing about all the ridiculous things as we go forward, you know? Yeah, and and, and don't you think we need each other? I mean, you
0: have these retreats annually for girls that can come together and just do life together. And look, if you're married and your husband and your kids, and they're fantastic. I mean, we love them. I say this to my husband all the time, Don, I love you, but don't touch me. I mean, I love him to death. He is the man of my life. But there's just something about when girls come together and we come into community together. And and you were saying it and you say it a lot in your book. What what is it about that that the sisterhood, especially sisterhood of women of faith, but just sisterhood in general.
2: What is it about it that's so special? Uh, first of all, I think we are wired for it. Like we are innately made To be in community with other women, to be with other women. That is, uh, we are emotional creatures and we are meant for that far more than I think men are, Um, but we must be in community. And if you're in a season, I have been in seasons. We, um, I had a life group here last night. and We talked about seasons where you feel, even when you have friends very alone, that you have to fight for that. And a lot of that, that comes from vulnerability you know, that intimacy comes from getting really vulnerable. When we, um, I do, I hold women's retreats. And the first thing we do within that first hours is just break them down, like get yeah. vulnerable, get raw. And as soon as one person does it, it, you know, it's like if somebody took a hammer to glass. So I think as women, we have to get vulnerable with each other. And that creates this, this closeness, because it's just in, in it admitting the hard things or just the, the everyday life things, because so many women think they're the only one. And the reality mm. is most of those things you think you're the only one about we're all going mm. through, which is what birthed the book, you know, me sitting with friends and going, oh, you too, you feel that way too. You, t-. you know, mm-hmm. I remember a girlfriend of mine telling me the story of her daughter who was, is in her thirties now that she, um, we were all in Mary Kay together, the daughter as well. And she always used to be, she's stunning. She was always part of the pictures. Like, somebody take our picture. And then they started asking her to take the picture. And she was devastated. And I think that we don't know how to handle that little pivot in life. And so we start to pull back. And the reality is you just go, no, hold on. Selfie with y'all behind me. You know? <laughs> so we just right. said we just do it different. Yeah. A lot of times I'm waiting for someone to
0: recognize what I what value I add. I mean, I've done that for so long. And now I think I'm in this place in my life where I'm going to tell you the value I add. And if you like mm-hmm. it, fantastic. If not, God bless, be blessed. Mm-hmm. And and, and I, I don't try to convince any more um, people that I am valuable and that I'm intelligent or beautiful or anything. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that's where you get to this point? Isn't that one of the reasons you wrote this book? You want women to to stand up and, and be what God's created them to be.
2: Absolutely, 100%. And no apologies. That's one of the great things that comes with age too is this, um, this little level of, I don't care. Um, not necessarily in the, in the most radical of ways, but in the most beautiful of ways, you know? And that I know my value. I know what I bring to the table. And if you don't, you, you take the time to search for it. And you go, like I said, rescue yourself. Um, nobody's gonna love you and fight for you more than you ever will. So I think that's why we have to start, you know, put an app, the app on your phone in the notes and go start writing down all those good little gifts mm. and the things you bring to the table and what makes you unique and what makes you awesome and the things that bring you joy. Start writing it down because mm, you're amazing. I love
0: that. Yes. Start listing yeah. it out because we we forget we are really hard on ourselves as women. All right. What is your joy oh. practice? What are the things that you do? every day that brings you joy? Because I I, I think people are joy starved. I mean, because joy is different than happy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure.
2: Mm. Well, I actually really literally do keep a list. So I will say that in true, I, love that. I, I believe in, um, I had to figure out years ago, what were my positive triggers and negative triggers. And if I kept a running list always of what positive triggers are, then I always had something to look at and do even from the simplest things of take a bath and light a candle to um, nature's really big for me to go outside. I want to, I don't want to sweat or anything, but I definitely love the the outside and some flowers and it just fills my soul. Um, But for me, I know that when I begin my, I like to wake up before anyone else wakes up. Mm. That is the start of a very good day for me. Um, And some days I'm great about getting in this word, right? You know, off the bat, I'd love to tell you this Mm. perfect story, but some days I'm not. Some days I'm in a rocking chair with coffee and, Um, and some days I'm, you know, listening to worship music, but that alone time is brings me joy and it sets me up for the day. And I'm also really, I would say I've I've practiced for a long time being self-aware.
0: Oh, that's a
2: big one. Yeah. And it's taken a lot of work. So I wouldn't say that it's just this one simple practice. It's that I've worked on it for a long time to be self-aware of, I've struggled with depression for years and I, so I Mm. fight to make sure that. I stay on the other side of it and then I do all the things that keep me there.
0: Well, I got to tell you, I'm so glad to be part of your, you know, midlife community. I think that, I think community is everything, especially for, you know, us women that we stand and lock arms together, support each other, love each other, lift each other up. And Dawn, you are a lifter of people. Y'all have got to go get this book. Okay. So before you, before we say goodbye, because I could talk to you all day, um, I do this thing on the podcast for everybody that comes on, girl. And it's called Rapid Fire. Rapid Fire Questions. I just want the first thing that pops you in your head thing. to come back okay. to my First thing. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite thing
2: about yourself?
0: Uh, my hair. I know,
2: you got good hair, girl. I know. Uh, did I Should I have given a more internal, like, oh, my ability to- No, no. You know, love others. No. no. <laughs> my hair. I,
0: that's why I love you because y- you have like, do you have fine hair too? Like the dirtier it gets, the thicker it gets, the more products you got in it. I wish
2: I had your hair. not so much. I I don't know what this, whatever (laughs) that neck thing is, that is not a favorite thing right there. No. The extra chin. Whatever's going on in that upper arm, also not a favorite thing. (laughs) Yeah. No. Mm -mm. What's the ideal way to spend 30 minutes for you? Uh, Listening to music and dancing by myself. Mm, Good one.
0: Good one. Good one. Um, Mm -hmm. At what age, what age did you become a real adult?
2: 53. (laughs) 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 I I, I don't know what that means, but I hope maybe I never am, you know? I love it. I love uh, that. Um, If you could choose to stay a certain age forever, what age would it be? Each age I'm getting to is my favorite. So I truly would say 53 right now. This really has been my favorite age.
0: I love it. I love it. Okay. What movie do you always watch when it's on TV?
2: The one in my head that I'm, is Shawshank Redemption, but that's not truly the, <laughs> it's a great movie. I would say Pretty Woman. I love that movie. It's, an, it's, <laughs> like, it's a great movie. Yeah. It doesn't take me much to get pulled into a TV. It's like a, a moth to a flame. I'm like, oh gosh, look, oh, I like this one. So, uh, you know, I'm not that fine tuned. What is your favorite junk food? Mm, ice cream. mm
0: I was, I had a hankering for that last night. Okay. Um, what is the best advice you'd give to your younger self?
2: Um, that that they, I don't know how to say this nicely that um, people really aren't watching that much. Nobody really cares. Like mm. wear the outfit you wanted to wear, don't overthink it. Wear, decorate your house the way you want to do it. Don't overthink it. Nobody really cares. <laughs> that would be mine. You're so right. My daddy used to always say that. He said, I said, quit worrying about what
0: people think because they're not thinking about you anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. What does it mean to you to be confident?
2: Doing the things you want to do, going to places you want to go with a smile on your face, not holding back. um, That to me is confidence. Confidence in who you are. And and because of that, you do the things that you secretly want to do.
0: All right. Last question. Who is your celebrity crush?
2: Okay, I'm gonna answer this, but it's not really. Okay. Can I qualify my answer? Do I just have to nope. say the name?
1: Nope. That's not how it works.
2: You can <laughs> you, you just have to say the name afterwards. Just say the name and then explain why. Okay. It, it needs explanation. Matthew McConaughey. But, okay. I but don't I, think I, I don't that's fantastic. Oh, it totally does. <laughs> I have to tell you why though. Um, okay. because I'm I, I didn't particularly care for him. Um, I'm just not a huge fan. And just roll, roll with me a second because I'm sounding hor- I'm horrible. I'm here. I'm with you. And I'm, with this, you. I'm with he you. He did that movie ma- Magic. He did the movie Magic Mike, and there's the scene where his legs are crossed and he has nothing on and he bends over and they film it from the back. And I've never gotten that vision out of my head. So it really was not, like I said, I had to qualify this answer. But he just did that book called Green Lights. Yeah. And the audio book, I thought, was so phenomenal that as when I went to read my audiobook, I'm like, Oh, yes, I am going to be like Matthew. McCona- I'm going to read this full on. I got this. I'm going to do this. And the engineer, as I was reading it, he was like, I was like, I'm trying to do like Matthew McConaughey. And he was like, yeah, um, stop. <laughs> <laughs> so that is why I said his name. I love how you said
0: Magic Mike in the naked behind-the-scenes shot and then Greenlight audiobook Mm -hmm. all in the same sentence. So I'm going to leave you with this. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> that, Fantastic, oh. Don. I love good. you. Okay, y'all. Don Barton's book, Midlife Battle Cry: Redefining the Mighty Second Half, comes out next week. You've got to get it. This is she's joy. She's wisdom. Um, she's lived a life um, that is worth reading about. And Don, I love you like a sister.
2: I feel the same. I feel the same. All
0: right. You got to have me on your podcast when it launches this fall. So she's going to do her porch ramblings. <laughs> yeah. Podcast is coming out in the fall. Um, go buy the book everywhere books are sold. And Don, you got to come back, sis. Come back and be on the show.
2: I'm free like in an hour. Yeah. Like we can record enough, but we're good to go. But it can just be our show.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Why not? Why not?
1: I like the way Don thinks.
0: Hey y'all, thank you for sticking around. Now is the time we're gonna give you the sneak peek listen of my new book, Collecting Confidence. It's chapter two, if you ain't dead, you ain't done. Enjoy. Chapter two, if you ain't dead, you ain't done. Sometimes a storm in your life is what will blow you to the place you are longing to be. Beth Moore. I had prepared for the pageant, but not for life. After I lost the Miss America pageant, there was nowhere else for me to go. I'd competed at the highest pageant level and lost. My lifelong dreams were no longer gettable, and like a box of cereal too high on the grocery store shelf, out of reach. Time to move on. But I no longer believed anything I used to believe about myself. I didn't believe I had talent, anything unique about me, or... An interesting point of view. I'd lost control of my life and didn't have a map or GPS. So I did what I thought everyone expected me to do. You know, the cultural default mode for me in my early 20s, especially back then, was obvious. I was supposed to fall in love, get married, have kids, and paint the picket fence white. Little did I know, you can't pattern your life after a Hallmark movie. One evening, when I was 20 years old, I got a gig singing in a local nightclub. I was soulfully singing Aretha Franklin and Etta James songs with a full house band when I noticed the owner watching me from the back of the club. He looked more like a bouncer. Maybe he was about ten years older than I was. He was tall with dark hair and a muscular build. Quick smile. Girl, I melted. We started dating and I played a part. The sweet little submissive woman who'd be a great, quiet wife. Okay, stop laughing, really, y'all stop. (laughs) After a whirlwind romance, he proposed, and I said yes. We told my parents while sitting at their kitchen table. Are you an idiot, Kim? This is the biggest mistake of your life, my mom said. She knew the relationship wasn't right. He was like a wild horse that could never be tamed. Do what you want, she said to him, but she'll never stay with you. Now, you'd think this would have slowed my roll, but it didn't. I went into planning mode, focusing more on the wedding than the actual marriage. I had a stunning dress that looked like Cinderella had walked through an explosion of a sequence factory. America had a tools shortage that year because my veil used every yard. Plus, my bouquet was bigger than my body. The marriage might not have looked good to my friends and family, but the wedding sure did. The fantasy world I'd been concocting disappeared the moment I placed my foot in the aisle. I looked at my white satin shoe and it felt like lead. I was making a mistake, but I couldn't turn back now. It was too late. I was too far gone. So I placed one foot down, then the other, marching slowly down the wrong path. I said the vows and drank the Kool-Aid, but I was as fake as the pearls around my neck. And after the wedding, things began to unravel. Look, I'm not going to go into all the details, but he was wild as a buck. He never pretended to be otherwise, but it felt different once we were married. I couldn't live like that. Okay, I'll be real with you. It wasn't totally his fault. I was the faker, not him. He was the same guy the whole way through. He married me because of what I was pretending to be. That sound you hear is my mama somewhere in Atlanta yelling, I told you so, but ignore her. This is just me and you. I'm just trying to say that I don't blame him for any of this. You see, when things go wrong, we want to blame everyone. Our ex, our boss, our parents, and even the mailman. But I had to own my junk. And y'all, I had more than Fred Sanford. Two years later, I left. As a married couple, we didn't have much other than a red Ford pickup truck in my name, which would get repoed if I left it up to him to pay the monthly bill. So I kept it. I don't want you driving around in a pickup truck, my dad told me. He bought my mom a new car every two years and hated the thought of me tooling around town in such a masculine ride, especially since he had bought my mom a new Silver Firebird when I was in high school. This ride seemed like a downgrade to him, but I had no choice. After a quick search, I got a job leasing apartments at a complex on Jimmy Carter Boulevard in Metro Atlanta, situated on a street full of strip malls, tattoo parlors, and no tail motels, and cheaply constructed buildings. As an employee, the owner gave me a discount on the lease. When I moved in, I stood back and marveled. My whole life fit into a small U-Haul trailer. Alone, I began to unpack. The tears I was crying must have blinded my vision, because when I unpacked a wedding gift, an expensive vase, I dropped it and watched it break into a thousand pieces. And that's how my heart felt. Shattered. Hopeless. Weary. Weighed down. Still, I did what I had to do. I swept it all up and tried to make a home. I didn't have much to work with. My new place had a small bedroom, dingy carpet, walls thinner than water, and carpet in the bathroom. But it also had a dining room, sunroom, fireplace, and a beautiful wooded view. Dad didn't see its attributes. And when he came over for the first time, he frowned. He wasn't the stereotypical protective dad who tried to clean up my messes. He always empowered me to protect myself. Even though my parents ended up with the country club life, they built everything they had from the ground up. They knew I'd made my bed and I had to lie in it. Though this life wasn't what dad had envisioned for me, he knew it wasn't what I envisioned for myself. Dreaming was over. This was just straight up survival. I'd ruined my life and needed to figure out plan B. What are people going to think about me? I cried to him as we stood in that apartment. Everyone came to the wedding and now... Kim, I have some news for you. He stopped me right there. They're not thinking about you at all. They're thinking about themselves. And he was right. This dingy, seedy apartment was a physical reminder of the mess I'd made of my own life but I was determined to make a palace out of that place. I tried to make it reflect my true self. Who was my true self? I didn't know anymore. No idea. And surely to goodness, not this. I got cleaning supplies. I scrubbed, I vacuumed, and cleaned that apartment until it sparkled like Prince Charming's teeth. First, I painted the boring tan walls pink. And y'all, think Pepto-Bismol pink. My neighbor, who was single and recently divorced too, came over to help me. She painted the walls, and I handled the trim. Then I got a white couch, a shower curtain with big pink flowers on it, and a rug to cover up the dingy carpet. I went to a furniture rental place that had old stuff they couldn't rent anymore. And there, I found a gorgeous white lacquer dining room set, on which I applied white nail polish to cover up most of the nicks and dings. I bought dishes from the grocery store and hung pictures on the walls. Think 1980s Art Deco Duran Duran album cover type art. And when I was finished, paint splatters dried on my sweatpants. I looked around and I said, yeah, that's more like it. Dad would call me every morning at six o'clock on the way to work. He was my therapist, my life coach before life coaches were a thing. He would say, it's just so hard for me to watch you go through this. He knew I needed to figure out what went wrong? Even trying to figure it out was exhausting. I tried to stay so busy I wouldn't feel the regret and exhaustion, but the loneliness outpaced my busyness. It caught up with me. I read a lot of books at night, and sometimes I'd just sit in silence and think about how everyone had been right. I wasn't enough, I was a piece of junk. One evening I cried out, God, where are you? Am I enough? And to my astonishment, he spoke back in a still, small voice. And since I had nothing else to do and nowhere else to go, I listened. I've got you. And are you ready for what I really have for you? It's not for the faint-hearted. Lean in, hush, and listen. Do nothing, and I'll bring you what you need stop flailing. It's just me and you. God didn't give me a to-do list, and he wasn't breaking me down and starting from scratch. He was positioning me for my calling. That was it. I was 23 years old and already divorced. I felt like a failure. It was so painful and hard, but looking back, it was difficult in the best kind of way. I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. When life puts you in a position of pause, it can be exciting. I was alone with my thoughts, a dangerous place to be, and I decided to get to know God more. You see, my grandfather was a preacher, but in this moment, I realized I needed my own faith, not the borrowed kind passed down for generations. I opened my Bible and I drank it in. The scripture jumped off the page and slapped me in my face. It was so real. But not only did it challenge me, it comforted me every single day. And so did my dad. He showed up at my apartment one day holding a picture. What'd you bring me, I asked. A picture of you, he said as he handed it to me. To my surprise, it wasn't some childhood photo of me eating birthday cake or riding a tricycle. Dad, this is a seagull eating a frog. I said. Had he lost it? Look close, he smiled. The head of the frog was in the seagull's mouth, but the frog, with his little hand still free, was choking the seagull. Outmatched, he refused to relent to the jaws of defeat. You're this one, he said, pointing to the frog. Never give up. This stuck in my crawl, but in a good way. As I held that frog picture, I accepted the fact that life is 89.5% hard and the rest is pretty good. It's not going to be easy, but I was going to try to be like that frog. You see, life is hard, God is good, and people are crazy, including me. And when I figured that out, the right opportunities emerged. How quickly we can go from being on top to not. Just two short years ago from competing in Miss America to sitting alone, divorced, in a one-bedroom apartment on Jimmy Carter Boulevard. A few weeks later, my phone rang. Can you come sing at our event? You know, there's nothing like being broke to make you appreciate an offer like that. Honey, I couldn't have said yes fast enough. I would have sung at the grocery store. Now, I wasn't hustling and trying to force anything. I was just accepting what came my way, no matter how small. I just sat still and let go of the anxiety. I didn't force it. I also didn't get attached to what success should look like. I just walked through the doors that opened. What else was I going to do? Slowly, day by day, through drawing closer to God and having long talks with my dad, I began to remember I was enough. More than enough. It was hard to believe, but that door slightly cracked open, and I began to see a better existence just waiting for me. Could it be true? I wasn't convinced, but I felt God's affection, and it was hopeful and comfortable like a cozy blanket on a dark winter's night. I wrapped God's love around me, pulled it up to my chin, and nestled into its warmth. We're always collecting something as we travel along life's road. Pain, bitterness, sorrows. But during this time, I began collecting confidence again. It took chipping away all those extraneous things for me to find out what really mattered. Tough stuff does that. And you see, I'm hard-headed. And maybe I needed a little extra time to understand what I was called to do. I started to exchange the shame of my divorce for the strength of my testimony. I turned around my self absorbed, why me attitude and started being grateful for even the smallest blessings that came my way. I became grateful for all the time I spent alone working on myself because I was developing my relationship with God. I started looking at my past failures as preparing me for something bigger. I'd gone down to the bottom of the barrel at least as far down as I could have gone at that age. Because I was divorced at 23, and I had to actually bring a calculator to the grocery store just to make sure my check didn't bounce. More than once, I had to put the box of Cheerios back on the shelf. I'd gone from what seemed like a pinnacle to an old beat-up pickup truck and painted furniture with nail polish. I knew why I'd gone through all of this turmoil at such a young age. You can't make as many bad decisions as I had and then act surprised when it all unravels. But through all the struggles, I began to understand the why of my life. And you can use your dark moments to understand your whys as well. Do you believe that everyone has a calling? I've traveled the world and asked audiences if they believe that people have a calling. Without fail, every hand goes up. But when I ask how many are living their life's calling, cue to crickets. We can't just ignore the question like a calculus problem too hard to figure out. We think of calling as external. But just like in those horror movies, the call is coming from inside the house. It's internal. That's what haunts us. Our calling is haunting us because we know we have a big one, but we can't seem to put our finger on it. The lack of knowing your calling might manifest differently in your life. Do you ever say things like these? I'm just so tired. If I could just lose 20 pounds, I'm just a housewife. If I could just figure out what I want to do. These chats start with just and end with what's wrong with me. What they're really asking is, what's my calling? It might seem mysterious and impossible, but I began to ask, to search, to beg for understanding. I was flat on my face before God, month after month, asking, why am I on this planet? Then, like Arnold Horschach from the TV show Welcome Back, Carter, my calling raised its hand and got my attention. When I acknowledged it, the answer spilled out. To my surprise, I already knew it. When I was a kid, I was convinced I was created to sing and talk. I used to line up my dolls, grab my hairbrush microphone, and perform a concert worthy of Carnegie Hall. I sang to my toys. I sang at church. I sang to anyone who would stand still long enough for me to finish a song. My first singing gig was at a local preliminary WWF wrestling match at Brookwood High School when I was 10 years old. I walked out there with my plaid skirt and my Argyle socks, carrying a boom box and listening to the instrumental version of Angels Watching Over Me by Amy Grant. I was scared to death, and I even peed on myself a little bit. But honey, I belted that song to all those down-home, tatted wrestling fans. And back then, I knew why I was created. But life beat it out of me. Heck, Maybe I just got distracted by the sexy nightclub owner. And there it was, right there again, familiar, smiling. Hey, it's me again. But my calling in life was not an occupation, it was a vocation. Maybe you've heard people use occupation and vocation interchangeably, but they're not the same. An occupation is what you decide to do, a vocation is following a voice. The Latin word Vocare, meaning to call. And God is the one who calls. In my occupation, I could be a professional singer or communicator, sure. And, And just like you, might be an accountant or a nurse or a school teacher, but our jobs are just the setting for our callings. As Dr. Dan Allender, the renowned therapist, wrote, our calling is not what we do, but how we do it. I'm not talking about what you fill out on a form on the blank that says work. I'm talking about vocation, which is more divine, more exciting. Having said that, a person's calling is usually short enough to fit in a blank. Usually it's one or two words. By now we're friends, so I'll go ahead and tell you mine edification. And that's a 10 gallon word for building up. You know you found your calling when it not only helps you, but also spills over to others around you in service. Self-help is fine, but helping others is power. I accomplish my calling of the edification of others through my singing, my talking, but I also do it with my fashion and cosmetic lines. I'm trying to do it with this book, too. In fact, I don't do anything without the express purpose of building up those around me. Nothing. That simplifies life. Did my childhood self know that? No, but my calling had been speaking to me for years, gently giving me hints, hoping I'd one day sit down at that white table in my first apartment on Jimmy Carter Boulevard and put the pieces of the puzzle together so I could finally see the picture emerge. Your calling, and you have a big one, is the common thread sewn in your life story, and it's always knocking at your door. We take it for granted. We think, oh, that's nothing special because it comes easy and natural for me. But pay attention to what causes you joy because it'll give you uncommon energy. It'll surprise you. And you don't have to chase your calling by looking for it, trying to create it, or conjuring it up from nothing. You don't play whack-a-mole with it. It doesn't pop up randomly and then disappear if you don't pounce on it quick enough. Your calling chases you. Sit back, put down your mallet and watch. You are where you need to be. And when I turned on the television in that apartment on Jimmy Carter Boulevard, it always start with WATC Channel 2. To call it a community channel was an understatement. It was small, homemade. People from Atlanta just got on there and talked about whatever was on their mind. And I could do that. So I called the number on TV to apply for an interview on their show. They sent me an application and booked me. Imagine my surprise when I looked at the address of the station, and it was two blocks from my apartment, the same street. God had been positioning me the whole time. I didn't have a road map, but I did. It turns out I had GPS, God's positioning system. That's all you need. It was a simple segment, and in my segment, I told them how I was a former Miss Georgia, a failed Miss America contestant, and a recent divorcee. Nice resume, huh? And then I sang. Does the place you're called to labor seem small and little known? I gave it all I had. The words meant so much, especially the next words, which came in the chorus. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you could win it. A local crown I could win? Count me in. Now, this local gig wasn't broadcast to the nation. And no, Johnny Carson didn't hit me up afterwards. But I got my own weekly talk show because I was available and I lived close to the station. It was called Friends and Neighbors and it lasted for 10 years. And during my dark days when I was devastated and thought I'd ruined my life, those broken pieces were being formed into my future. And during that time, I cut my very first solo independent album. I was like MC Hammer hawking those CDs out of the back of my truck. The creativity, ingenuity, toughness, and mental stability required to make music and have a talk show came from that alone time. I would not be in TV, have the career I have today, or be writing this book if I hadn't been in that Pepto-Bismol pink apartment located on the same street as the TV station WATC. A place or circumstance can put you on a collision path with your calling. I mean literally. Not until I sat down to write this book did I realize the significance of that apartment being on the very street as my calling. You're surrounded by signs. Look up. Notice it. Be ready for miracles. It's right in front of your face. Yes, even if you screwed up and you're somewhere you never thought you'd be, you are there for a reason. But you don't have to be there forever. It's time for some faith to kick in. Give up what you thought life should look like and let go of control. Honey, let me tell you right now, you never had control anyway. We think we do, which leads us to believe we've blown it. Well, this ain't about what you have or have not done. God is the master of the universe, not you. You couldn't fix your mistakes if you tried. So quit worrying about it. Nobody really cares about your screw ups. Like my dad said, they're not even thinking about you anyway. You might be out there trying to get over your past, hard times, and struggles, not realizing all of that is locked into your calling. There is a why you went through that. But we get hung up on what happened to us instead of what can happen through us. We try to rush through our problems to shorten our dark days and to try to find a solution to our sorrow as soon as possible. We're not still enough or quiet enough or willing to speak to him enough to let him do what he can do. And Ephesians 3.20 says he's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. We all have dark nights of the soul, those moments in our lives where everything seems covered up by pain and hopelessness. They can be the true compass to our calling if we listen to what they are trying to tell us. We don't value them, don't want to go through them, or we do the easy thing to distract ourselves, like with Instagram, reality TV, which I love, and TikTok. Now, my current distraction is the add to cart button. (laughs) We don't take the time to slow down and just go through the experience of the pain to reflect about what we really want, and to listen to that still, small voice. But those are the most prosperous moments that can ever be given if you're quiet enough, still enough, or willing enough to listen to them. This divorce was the most authentic, raw time of my life thus far. You can't be authentic in a world if you can't be real with yourself. So I let the waves of pain wash over me, And they lifted me like a tide lifts a ship. Your mistakes are not wasted. The mistake is the steak. It's the meat and potatoes, y'all. That's the good stuff. Don't rush this feast. Relish every bite. I want you to live your passion. When it comes to a dress or pant size, y'all, I'm a tight 12 and a loose 14. And that's okay for clothing. But no one wants a life that's ill-fitting. You want to live a life that's custom-made, designed to fit you perfectly. Sadly, too many people are trying to fit into a life they outgrew years ago. I did this big time. We keep having the same tired conversations with ourselves and others when our hearts know we were meant for greater things. And now is the right time to do and be and talk about greater things. When you're operating in your calling, confidence comes. It feels like home. And y'all, there's no mortgage, no interest rate, and it's free. It was a gift given to you in your mother's womb by God at the beginning of time. The only thing you have to do is figure out what you're passionate about and do it. If you're not passionate, it'll be stale. It won't be authentic. It won't be true. And that's everything. Here's a little controversy, Mama Bears. I ask women, what are you called to do? Invariably, someone responds, to be a wife, usually followed by, i meant to be a mom. Nope. Your purpose was not to get married and have children. Marriage and kids are fantastic. I love my children, and parenting is my biggest responsibility right now. Giving birth or adopting is a blessing. It's your most important job, and it goes so fast. Slowing down to raise your kids is important. Now, it might feel like you'll forever be changing diapers, driving carpool, and sitting in uncomfortable bleachers yelling at your kids to get the rebound. But you won't. My sons will always be my babies but they'll only be living under my roof for a season. Do the math. If you live until you're 90, your kids will usually be at home for only 20% of your life. It's a short amount of time. What are you going to do with the rest of your time? The best thing we can do for our children is to live out our calling. Parenting is more about who you are than about what you do or say. We are our calling, and living that out will set them on their own path to calling. When I was a little girl and started to get a glimpse of what my life might be, I was usually alone, sitting quietly, playing with my dolls or walking to school. Things were quiet enough for me to notice that still, small voice. I did have a big advantage over some of you youngins. I didn't have an iPhone, a console, or an iPad to distract me. It was just me, Strawberry Shortcake, and Sean Cassidy looking down at me from a poster on the wall. When I was home, I was home. I could just be me. I could play and get dirty, and it didn't matter. When I hit my teens, if I had a big old zit right on my forehead, I didn't care. And no one else did either. When I was growing up, I could freely be me, flaws and all. But social media has burst that bubble. The pressure to be perfect has infiltrated the four walls of our homes. Now, even if you're lying on your couch, you can compare your butt to Kim Kardashian's, and she has a killer booty see the exotic vacations of your neighbors, and feel less important than anyone else. But 99.9% of people you see online have lives that aren't as sparkly without the filter. Confession, this includes me. I edit my photos, but I'm real enough to admit it. Sometimes optics can help a girl out, you know, but optics aren't power. True power comes from a place you cannot see in a photo even with the best Instagram filter. Now, I'm not blaming social media. I'm on every platform. But it's harder than ever to be present in the moment. So turn off your apps, sit still, get quiet, and be willing to pay attention to what's going on inside you. Your calling is personal. You're called to be you. And your calling is aligned with your personality, talent, and era. God created you at this specific time with your specific gifts and talents. In this book, I want to encourage you to use what you've got. We're taught that we have to measure our worth and consequence immediately by the number of digits in our bank account, the number of likes we have on our social media post, or the number of steps taken on those pesky health apps. Wait, I've only taken 37 steps today. Okay, there must be something wrong with my tech. But life doesn't work that way. We can't measure our worth by numbers. You are priceless, even if it looks like your impact is small. Don't despise small beginnings because we can't do what we're not called to do. We're supposed to teach our children how to live so that wisdom is passed down through the generations, but they can't do our work, and we can't do theirs. Even if it seems you share the same calling with another person, it will manifest in different ways present different challenges, and offer different payoffs. But living in your calling is reward enough because it multiplies. The more you operate in this place of calling, the more opportunities, platforms, resources, and joy, and just everything else multiplies. Yes, in this lifetime, it not only creates a legacy, but you reap huge benefits in the now. When you finally give up your illusion of control and lean into your calling, God gives extravagantly in ways you can't imagine, with results that last. Your calling is prolific. There's an old saying that goes like this. You can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in a seed. The more you plant, the more you harvest. But walking in your true calling produces much fruit and has a lot of offspring. Some of the fruit isn't good, and some of the harvest doesn't come as you'd hoped. But even in that, your harvest is bountiful, and it takes time to grow. It also multiplies in ways you won't be able to see immediately. Case in point, in Germany, 20,000 people per day visit the most famous tourist sites, the Cologne Cathedral. The first stone of the building created to provide a final resting place for the remains of the three wise men in the Bible story of Christmas was laid in 1248, and it wasn't completed for 632 years. Look, I get antsy when a bathroom remodel takes a few months. However, these cathedral builders were willing to start a project, do their part, and trust that the work would be completed. Not by their kids, or their grandchildren, or even their grandchildren's grandchildren. And their work still creates awe in camera-toting tourists today. The cathedral bricklayers, who worked over six centuries, had the same overall purpose, but each was called to a different stage of the process, which came with its own challenges and opportunities. The bricklayers in 1248 Cologne could lay the first stones. I bet some of them felt a sense of hopelessness without knowing the end result. Maybe others were determined. The 1880 bricklayers who completed the cathedral, a day that became a national holiday, didn't have the vision to lay the first stone, but got to enjoy the celebration. Your calling resides in perpetuity and does not obey your self-imposed timetable. To paraphrase Gandalf in the Fellowship of the Ring, calling is never late nor early it operates precisely when it means to. Your calling never expires. I could have done anything in my 20s, but I followed a pattern. Instead of doing what I thought the culture wanted me to do, I should have figured out my calling. That's what happened during my time alone in my apartment, and it changed my life. The beautiful thing is you can do this at any age. The world will tell you that You can only answer your calling when you're young. But it isn't like that chunky milk in the back of the fridge. It doesn't expire. I've always loved to be around older women, breathing in their wisdom. My mother, who is now in her 70s, is living her best life. Suddenly, she's modeling on national television. While most people don't get to reinvent themselves as models, I've had dozens of mentors in my life, women and a few men, who've had cool hobbies. And those who didn't, they didn't tell me how to live. They modeled character and integrity. The world tells us our calling presents itself during a small window of time. One strike and you're out. You may think you've had your one chance to accomplish your dreams and let it slip through your fingers. You have not. See, God finishes what he starts. And your calling reveals itself gradually as you can handle it. Pay attention to the miracles around you. I now have a business with more than $200 million in sales, but sometimes I long for those times in that Pepto-Bisbon apartment. Ain't that funny? I'd give anything to be alone there right now with a full day just to cry it out alone with my thoughts. I'd love to have my neighbor pop in and help me paint sloppily. Those years are right up there with the birth of my children. And looking back, the time of angst was one of my happiest, most important times. I was on my own. And as I spent more time reading my Bible and spending time with my Heavenly Father and my earthly one, eventually I felt the same jolt of joy I experienced when I jumped that fence and walked to that elementary school all by myself. I stood on my own two feet. I would not be here if I had not been there. And speaking of feet, look down at your own. Are you on the right path? If not, I'm here to tell you that it's not too late for you to pick a new path. You have to start where you are to get to where you want to be. Your feet might feel like lead. You might be either too afraid or too tired to take a step in a new direction. But take a moment to pause. You might be in a terrible place, but I challenge you to see the beauty around you. Your place of regret is also a place of enormous hope and opportunity. So go ahead, pick up your foot and turn yourself in the right direction. You don't have to figure out your whole life to start living your calling. Because if you ain't
2: dead, you ain't done. I wish I had this your hair. not so much. I don't know what this... Whatever that neck thing is, that is not a favorite thing right there. No. The extra chin. And whatever's going on it. in that okay. upper arm, also not a favorite thing. I'm going to quote Yoda. There is no
0: try, only do. I don't think that's the quote, but y'all get the picture.
1: <laughs> do or do not, there is no try. That's what I meant to say. It's do or not do. <laughs> there is no try. Do you want to do it again? What did I say? You, want to just, you said there is no try, just do.
0: Same difference, Zach. The Kim Gravel Show is produced and edited by Zach Miller at Uncommon Audio. Our associate producer is Kathleen Grant, the brunette exec. Production help from Emily Breeden and Sarah Noto. Our cover art is designed by Sanaz at Mamarian Creative and Mike Kligerman edits the show. And a special thanks to the team at QVC. Head over to the thekimgravelshow.com and sign up for our mailing list. Again, we can't do this without you, so thank you for listening and we love you.